You may open your Bibles for an opening text of Scripture to Zechariah chapter 10, near the end of your Old Testaments. Regarding the comments that I made earlier about after having meet, after meeting with the Lord in the night, in the spirit of Psalm 63, verses 5 and 6, to wake up and be disappointed with your spouse, I meant in a spiritual sense, just as she would be disappointed with me. But I do want to tell you that my relationship with my wife is the best it's ever been. And we're very thankful for each other and very happy with each other. And please don't come to me and say, maybe those 11 days were good for you. Because I don't want to do that again. But we are very, very happy with each other. Jonathan, the sooner you move on, it'll be okay. We got rid of them last night, and thank you, another family in the church, for taking them. You know I love you very much, but your mother and I are very happy with each other. A long time ago, after a tense time in our marriage, I gently, lovingly pinned her head to the pillow on a Saturday morning in Ortonville, Michigan, and told her, if you want to be married to the best husband on earth, I was, I was so serious. Keep me close to the Lord. Right. Help keep me close to the Lord. The closer I am to the Lord, the more I'm talking to Him during the night, my words during the day are a whole lot better. Because then the Holy Spirit is giving strength for love, joy, peace, long-suffering, things she likes from me. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. It's how close you are to the Lord. Otherwise, we're selfish pigs. I don't believe in the nobility of man. I believe in the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. Anyway, that is to help you understand what I meant. I hope, I hope I've said enough. Psalm 63, 5 and 6 is so true. We're not there. I've, we've already covered those verses. But I hope you seek them in your life. Early, seek them early. Seek them tonight. Go to bed prepared to talk to the Lord. When you wake up, what are you thinking about? What do you fantasize about? Talk to the Lord. Tell Him you love Him. You tell Him you love Him in sincerity, He will tell you back that He loves you. You will be strengthening your soul in the middle of the night. He teaches me in the night. He comforts me in the night. It's in the Bible. It's in my life. Don't trust me. Trust the Word of God. We're opening the Word of God. I'm not an entertainer. But I am an educator. That's my job. To educate you from the Word of God. To educate me from the Word of God. We are going to open the textbook of God. And we're going to look at some verses, many of which you know well. And we're going to remind ourselves that we ought to be the happiest... The gladdest, most rejoicing people on earth. We just sang, fading is the worldling's pleasure. Where does he find it? It fades. If a woman finds it in her looks, it's fading. If you find it in the paint on your house, it's fading. If you find it in that new factory finish... On your fancy car, it's fading. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. All his boasted pomp and show. They strut on the fields of the NFL. Then they die 
with us trying to force oxygen up their noses with a hose. And all they have is some thin, almost transparent skin dangling off their bones, and they usually do it earlier than the general population. Because they ate too much during their life to get as big as they needed to be to play in the NFL. All his boasted pomp and show. You ever seen a model when she's 85 years old and dies? Which body part do you want to describe and see if it compares to the Song of Solomon? Right. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. All his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. It never goes away, and it's solid for you to trust in it. I want to educate us all again. We know these things, but let's be reminded of them. Our religion works in every respect. Those who think it does not work have never truly been in it. The Bible is true in every respect. Those who think it does not work are reprobates or scorners. The Bible is true and it works. Doing it just the way the Bible says. My brethren, if others measured Christianity by your happiness, how many would convert? If others measured Christianity by your happiness, your gladness, your rejoicing... How many and when would they convert? How many have? Why don't we make it a little tougher? How many have converted by the life you live? By the testimony that you've had? They want to know more about your religion. They want to go to church with you. In Zechariah chapter 10, we have these words about God's blessing coming upon Israel and how they would react with great joy and gladness and the effect it would have. I'm going to read three verses beginning at verse 5 in Zechariah 10. This is God's blessing upon His people. And they shall be as mighty men, which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. And they shall fight, because the Lord is with them, and the riders on horses shall be confounded, Israel's enemies. And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them again to place them. For I have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off. For I am the Lord their God, and will hear them. And they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice as through wine. Yea, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. These three verses describe God's blessing upon Israel, named Judah, Joseph, and Ephraim, that God would bless them, put them back in the land, and treat them as if He had never cast them off. And they would be so thrilled at having been recovered from being trodden down themselves to be able to tread down others, that they would rejoice like a man with wine. A little louder, a little more exuberant, because they'd be thrilled that God was with them again. Their hearts would rejoice as through wine in the middle of verse 7. Yea, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. I ask again, if your children were to measure your religion by your happiness, how convincing 
is your presentation. Real happiness. None but Zion's children know. Do you have it? What is the effect of Christianity on your life? Do you have its described joy? You may ask my mother. Though she has a failing memory, she will probably remember this horrible event in her life of being the unhappy mother of the unhappiest son that was alive on planet Earth in the 1970s. She will be able to recall, as I jog her memory, of him sitting and staring out a window, lost, lonely, frustrated, unsatisfied, bitter. I've known the grief of that side of life. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, for the for Bible Christianity, the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the truth of the gospel. It saves us from all that. What is it? What's the effect on your life? Do you have its described joy or are you a pretender? Don't tell us you're a believer. Don't tell anyone you're a believer. Please don't pray before you eat if you're not going to be a thankful, joyful Christian. Life is too short not to be joyful. Life is too short not to be glad. The Lord's given us a million things for which we can be thankful. He is so good. He is so perfect. The Bible is so true. We should be the happiest of all people on earth. What is it? What are we talking about? Real happiness. It is joy. It's fulfillment. It's hope. It's peace. It's pleasure. It's satisfaction that never completely leaves. And it's only dulled briefly when negative circumstances come up because we quickly regather ourselves, encourage ourselves in the Lord, and we go on again with the joy we had just a few minutes ago. David could encourage himself in the Lord, and though he was quite discouraged, he was able to go on and recover from the Amalekites all that had been taken of all his wives and all his children and all his stuff. And his friends wanted to stone him. First Samuel chapter 30, the first eight verses. But he was able to encourage himself in the Lord and quickly get back there. Paul said that we are cast down from time to time. Paul was a very joyful person. He talks about joy often. He was cast down, but that casting down never destroyed him. It never led him to sin. It never led him to act like he wasn't a Christian. It never destroyed him. It never made him hopeless. It never beat him down into a depression. He was just a little cast down. Oh, when you, when you think about what the Apostle Paul had to face, all you have to do is read First and Second Corinthians and say, that is one of his churches where he spent the most time. How discouraged would you be? That was horrible. He said, cast down, but not destroyed. And he wrote that church and told them, I hope they figured it out when he was cast down, whenever he heard about them. What is real happiness? It's the optimistic and positive outlook on life that evil circumstances can only briefly dull. It's enjoying the life God's given you, which is to live with delight and happiness and pleasure. We're his children. Amen. He didn't adopt us to punish us. Right. He didn't adopt us to deprive us. He didn't adopt us to hurt us. He adopted us to help us. He adopted us to show us the splendors of His kingdom and the glory of His fatherhood. He's going to show us the riches of glory forever. He's adopted us to save us, to bless us, to help us, to show His kindness to us. We should be delighting in that. 
It's a life founded upon the rock Christ Jesus and His Word. Who can, who can hardly be moved by trouble. How many times did David say, my feet are fast? They shall not be moved. My heart is fixed. It shall not be easily moved. Because we have a rock on which we stand and build our lives. And if that's not in place, you're not going to be as happy as you should be. If you, if you play with sin and get away from that relationship with God, you are not going to be as happy as you should be. Then you're a disgrace to Him. You're an offense to the gospel. And you're telling everyone around you, my religion is a failure. My children, my religion is not a failure. And whatever failures you've ever seen in your father or your mother, forgive us. God's forgiven us because you all know from the inside out that the happiest your mother and father ever are, are the closest there to the God of their salvation. And it's whenever they've strayed in any way, shape, or form that things got tense, troubled, or pitiful in the Crosby household. And I'm sorry that it ever happened. So, my children, whip me. Do you know how you can whip me? You keep that relationship with the Lord. And you show that joy and that happiness every day of your lives. You talk with the Lord every night and tell Him you love Him. You read your Bible every day. You confess your sins. You have private devotions. You have devotions with your spouse and your children. You keep the world out of your house. And you have all that happiness that God intends and that you know exists because you've seen your parents have it. But you also know that to play with sin can mess up a family. Real happiness is righteousness, not riches. Amen. You know, if a man would really get happy because some, someone gave him a hundred grand, he's so small. He's not really a man. He's got such a little mind and he has no soul at all. Because what would a hundred grand for you do compared to what God's done? And Jesus Christ is done, and the Bible's declared. Amen. It's such a shame. Look at Proverbs 16 and verse 8 with me. Real happiness is not riches, it's righteousness. And until you've pursued righteousness and followed hard after it, you can't fully appreciate it. When you're living righteously, God is smiling on your life. God hears every prayer. God blesses everything you touch. You say, what about Job? What about Job? Come on, skeptic. Scorner, lay it on me. What about Job? You mean the 100% return he got for just having the Lord try him a little bit? Is that what you're complaining about? I like 100% returns. Why are you complaining about Job? Why are you trying to tell me that it doesn't really work? It absolutely does work. God blessed the work of his hands. Job got twice in the end, didn't he? Job got double for all that he had in the end. Don't be a skeptic and a scorner. Those kind of thoughts come from the devil. The righteous can live their lives happily and then go into the greatest moment of happiness, and that's death. Because thy loving kindness is better than life. Do you know what that means? It is far better to depart and to be with Christ than to stay here on earth. If you really believe those words. That's win-win. 
When you're righteous, I just said all that was to say, when you're living righteously, God is smiling upon you. He smiles upon you in your soul that no one else can measure. He smiles upon you in the things that you do. He smiles upon your relationships. He blesses you with a hedge. He gives you the Holy Spirit. That's all supernatural. But when you're living righteously, you're also saved from all the thorns, pitfalls, pits and traps of this life. When you're living righteously, you have no guilt or shame. The righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no man pursueth. And fear hath torment. So who can be happy when you've got any fear? I hate secrets. I wish none of us would ever have a secret. That we could just be totally open all the time. But you know, when you're living in sin, even playing with sin, you got to lie. you got to cover. you got to make up stuff. Righteousness is so wonderful. Look at Proverbs 16.8. You want to be happy? Proverbs 16.8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. There's the text. This is Solomon. If a poor man wrote that, we wouldn't believe him. Because a poor man wouldn't know what it's like to have riches or revenue. But when Solomon writes this, we believe it. He understood that great revenues without being right did not satisfy. That a little with righteousness was better. And God, the Holy Spirit, of course, inspired this because he's the author of the book. The others are just secretaries. But there's, there's the point. Do you know how much effort is put forth to get revenue? You, anyone here, how much effort do you put forth in a week to get revenue? That's a part-time job. That's okay. That's okay, man. You didn't do anything wrong. I'm... That's, a good, that's a good answer. It's a good start. How much effort and worry and concern and investment and time and, and contriving and planning do we put into revenue... When the Bible tells us that better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. What if a person were to shift, and I'm telling you this is what we ought to do, is to shift some of that emphasis and some of that focus away from revenue toward righteousness, and you'll be a happier and a better person for it. And so will your marriage, and so will your children, and so will your family. What is real happiness is what I'm answering right now. What is real happiness? It's righteousness rather than riches. It's righteousness rather than revenue. Look at 1517. This is the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs have many priorities in them. You can grab a concordance or an online Bible search program and type in the word better. And boom, up will pop some of Solomon's comparisons. Here's another one. We've been over these before. That's another study in itself. If you want to be happy, you will keep your priorities the same as God's priorities, the same as the richest man's priorities. Solomon, the wisest man. Proverbs fifteen seventeen. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Love is better than luxury. So instead of chasing luxury or worrying about it or, or grieving that you don't have very much, how much effort are you putting in to love? You go and buy the new set of clothes. Oh, this is so pretty. So what? Oh, this car is so comfortable with its Corinthian leather. So what? It's love that's more important than luxury. 
How much effort are you putting on to make sure love reigns in your house? That your children love each other. That Austin loves Alex and Alex loves Austin. That's called brotherly love. The family gets to see it every day. Right, Austin? Yes, good. Brotherly love is better than luxury. The wise man told us that. You want to be happy? This is, these are the things that have to be important to us. Oh, a family in love with each other. Thank you, blessed family, for this past Thanksgiving. When the Lord asks me, give me the top five events of your life. It's in the top five. I love that night so much because we had a family in love together. It tells me this in the Bible. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. A stalled ox is one that has been penned up so that it cannot move, so it develops more fat. But who cares if you have filet mignon while you have hate at the table? Tension, strife, contention, bitterness at the table. Who cares? Better is a dinner of herbs. Let's have that salad that I've despised so much. My wife's making better salads. She's heard me just like you've heard me. So she's making me better and better salads. On Friday night, she came to me and she said, how would you like a salad tonight? On Friday night? She can make a great salad. But you know what? A salad shared with her, when we're happily in love with each other, is a feast. Amen. Even if she has to eat it sitting beside me at my computer. It's still a feast. And it's pleasure. I do not like talking about myself, and I'm not talking about myself for any other purpose than this. What are you doing in your life? Love is more important than luxury. And the wise man taught us that. Look at 17.1. Better is a dry morsel. Boy, if you could get your Bible open to this page, these two pages, you'd be in pretty good shape, wouldn't you? <clears throat> Look at 17.1. I went back and read through the sermon outline of a sermon that I preached to you from this text many years ago. 17.1. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. Peace is better than fair. Peace is better than provision. A house full of sacrifices mean you made a great oath to the Lord, you went to Jerusalem, and you had all the fatted, the best fatted beasts of your flocks and herds killed, and you brought parts home to eat yourself, which was allowed. And you had all that food there. The best food that you could possibly produce, you've got it there. But you've got strife. It's not a very good situation. Who cares about what's on the table? Who cares what the menu's describing? Because better is a dry morsel. Break out the little tube of saltines and let's have Adam. Because that's better when we have quietness therewith. And the quietness is not no one speaks. The quietness is there's no unhappiness, there's no fighting, there's no striving. You want to be happy? Then you got, your priorities need to be God's priorities. This is what happiness is according to the Bible. Amen. You know where it all stems from? It stems from delighting and glorying in God Himself. Amen. How can you be truly loved? How can you be truly at peace? How can you be truly righteous? It's a walking with God. Walking with God is the beginning of happiness. If you're not walking with God, you can't be happy. If you are happy, you may be a reprobate. Because if you're not walking with God and you think you're happy, then something's seriously wrong in your life. It will not last. If it lasts to the grave, it will certainly not last beyond it. 
It's walking with God. Do you walk with God? Do you talk with Him each day? Do you tell Him what you are doing? Do you thank Him for everything He does for you? He's already done a thousand good things to you this day. When you turned the key, did it start this morning? Thank you, blessed God. All He has to do is speak the Word. And I don't care what late mile it is or how recently you had your starter replaced. Or how expensive of a battery you have. If God doesn't bless it, it won't start. Everything is a blessing from God. We can be happy at everything we see. The green grass. The trimmed roadside. Got me excited this morning, brother, before I could even get on the church grounds. You know what part I'm talking about? That little strip between us and the neighbors? I'm, I'm, I'm coming down the road. Oh, it looks sweet. I have a smile on my face before I can get in the grounds. When I get in the grounds and think of all you coming, there's so much, the sun's shining, the Bible's in my hand. It's a wonderful day. Amen. Are you thankful and happy? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Brother Newell reminded us of this morning. Look at Psalm 104. The point I'm making right now is if you're not walking with God, you can't really be happy. And you can't walk with God if you've got sin in your life. If you're playing with sin in your life, you're not walking with God because God isn't going to get near you. He doesn't want to spoil himself with a rotten relationship with a rotten fool. Do you know how wonderful the Bible is? I'm an, I'm just, we're, we're just having a, an education class right now to remind us of real happiness. Do you know that the Bible is written and says this? At least in two occasions, John chapter 16, 1 John chapter 1. These things have I written unto you, that your joy may be full. Do you know how most people read 1 John? I don't even know if I'm a child of God after reading that chapter. Oh, come These things are written that your joy might be full. There's no high standard in there that tries to take the children of God and make them doubt their salvation. Do you love the brethren? Do you love righteousness? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You have eternal life waiting for you. These things are written unto you that your joy may be full. In 1 John chapter 1, which I hope you read last night, if you walk in darkness, if you're playing around with sin at all, you are having no fellowship with God and His Son Jesus Christ, and you will not until you confess that sin and have it forgiven by God. It's a relationship with God. Look at Psalm 104, verse 34. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. That is the foundation of happiness. It's a relationship with God. And for those of you that are old enough to know, when you have let your relationship with the Lord slip, like every other relationship, except this is infinitely more important, the happiness in the relationship goes down. If, if Sherry and I have a difference, or if a child and I have a difference, That relationship is strained, or if one of you and I have a difference, it's strained. And if we have a difference with God when we're sinning, or we're playing with sin, or we're wanting to sin, and He's already condemned it, we don't have a relationship. Our lives dry up. The marriage dries up. My relationship with the Lord dries up. Because I'm no longer meditating on Him. My meditation of Him shall be sweet. That's the the basis of it. What is it? Real, real happiness isn't the crackle of thorns. It's not fools laughing at a sitcom. That isn't happiness. That's just idiocy. That's hyenas. The Bible makes fun of them. The Bible mocks them in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not the superficial and empty laughter of contemporary Christians that are laughing about something they don't understand. 
They don't preach the Bible, but they laugh and tell jokes and tell stories. I, I had sent to me a video clip this very week. I can't, I'm not even going to go into it. A video clip from the, second fast, the, the fastest growing and the second largest church in Greenville County. It was not only banal, but profane. Lord, forgive us as a nation. It's, happiness is founded on truth. To think for a second that I'm practicing a lie or believing a lie, or that anything I'm hearing or doing is just superficial froth, that is just so empty. That's a soap bubble. We want to be founded in the rock, Christ Jesus, and on the Word of God. That is a solid foundation. That's as solid as it gets in this life. And that's what we want. You know, real happiness isn't the momentary pleasure that Amnon had. How long did it last? One second Amnon. Then he hated her more than the love he professed he had for her. So, when someone says, I'm living in sin and I'm having a blast. I love the thrill of this. (laughs) You've got to be kidding me. How can an intelligent person say that? They can't. They're retarded. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. When someone says... You're saying to yourself right now, or you say to me, or you say to someone else, I'm doing it my way and I'm having a blast. <laughs> what a joke! It will be found to be hateful, because the Bible says so. It has nothing to do with me saying so. All I am is a dumbass speaking the Bible. It's the Bible that says it. It's not the momentary pleasure of an Amnon and a Tamar. He thought it was going to make him so happy. He had pleasure for a moment. And then it ripped him up and tore, turned his world upside down. That what he had just taken such a severe risk for, and it did end up costing him his life, because Tamar's brother Absalom killed him for it. When he realized, I just put my life in my hands for this, Miserably torment. His iniquity was found to be hateful. Just like the Bible says in Psalm 36. Who has it? Only the righteous have it. Look at Psalm 64 and verse 10. 64 and verse 10. For seasoned saints who have tried the, the folly of the pleasure of sin for a season versus the pleasure of righteousness. And a relationship with the Lord? You all know what I'm talking about. And though you may be a little more modest than me and you don't like to laugh in public, you know what I'm telling you is the truth. Your iniquity will be found, will be found to be hateful even to you. We already know it's hateful and stupid, but even you're going to figure that out. You're so foolish. There's only one way to be happy. 
That's to fall on your face before the God of heaven and practice Psalm 63 that we read earlier. But let's go to the next psalm. How about Psalm 64.10 and find out who has this kind of happiness? Psalm 64.10, the righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in Him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. It's the righteous and the upright in heart. Those that from the inside out want to do what's right. They're upright. They're, they're on a higher plane. They think higher. They think heavenly thoughts. They measure themselves and their conduct by the Word of God. The upright in heart, from the heart out. And it comes into their life because they're called the righteous. They're the ones that are glad. They trust in Him. And their hearts shall glory. And they glory. They have something exciting in their lives because they have a relationship with the Lord that's based on righteousness. The world's best. Pick whoever you want. Pick whoever you want. The world's best. Prove that they don't have real happiness because of their divorces, their drugs, their drunkenness, their dysfunction. They're so messed up. The best. The most money. The most power. The most gifts. Name them. They're messed up. Because that isn't real happiness. The world's best show they lack real happiness by their reaction to problems. You give me a worldling and bring a little trouble into his life. They get angry. They get bent out of shape. They get fearful. The righteous don't. Uh, We have so much to celebrate as the citizens of Zion and the righteous bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, to the untrained eye of faith, it looks like the world is happy sometimes. Most of the time, if you've got a trained eye, it's not happy. And you should be able to see that. But let me remind you of something, and it's it's found in Psalm 17, that when you see a man who doesn't fear the Lord, apparently enjoying life, God is very benevolently letting him have his heaven now, because he's going to have his hell to come. And the Bible tells us that. Psalm 17, verse 13. Psalm 17, 13. Arise, O Lord. Disappoint him. Cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. See, God just uses them. From men which are thy hand, O Lord. From men of the world. These are the worldlings and their boasted pomp and show. Which have their portion in this life and whose belly... Thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children. they got big families. And leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. What a difference that is. Let the wicked drive a fancy car and live in a big home and pretend that they're happy. They're going to leave everything they've got to their babes. Not one cent's going to descend after them. But David said, I shall be happy when I awake in heaven with thy likeness. Amen. In, the, in the glory of heaven. You need to learn to have the right perspective. The Bible warns against envying the foolish or envying the wicked or envying the rich. Psalm 73 is written all about it. Toward the end of Psalm 73, Asaph, who wrote Psalm 73 by the best information we have, was able to say, In summary, whom have I in heaven but thee? Whom have I on earth but thee? My heart faileth, but thou art the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's a man who knows where his happiness is, God being his portion. Look at Jeremiah 12. Jeremiah 12, when you look around and see someone that's not following the Bible, apparently happy, 
It's so amusing to me. I'm sorry that it troubles you. You need to read the Bible more. It should never move you. You young people. Jeremiah 12. Look at these three verses. Starting at the first verse. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. God is right. Do you love to talk to somebody that's always right? Perfectly right. Purely right. Do you love to? The Lord. He talks to me through his word. He talks to me in my soul by the Holy Spirit. Do you love to have a relationship with somebody that's absolutely pure in righteousness? Jeremiah did. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. You always have the right answer. You always do the right thing. Yet, now watch this. Yet, let me talk with thee of thy judgments. I have a question. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them. Yea, they have taken root. They grow. Yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. How does this happen, Lord? But thou, O Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Now listen to a real man of God. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. That is a righteous man. And if you ever hear a man preach that doesn't preach like that, he's not a servant of the Most High God. That is how you are to look at life. Lord, I've got a... <laughs> he corrects himself while he's going. Do you ever do that? Do you ever get talking? Okay, I got my answer. Even though you were talking to yourself and to the Lord, pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Do you know what I have to say about, some, about the rebellious in or out of our church? Especially the youth? Where is the God of Elisha? I didn't say, where is the God of Elijah? Those were the words of Elisha. Elisha picked up Elijah's mantle when the angels of God came down and the sweet chariot came low and took him to heaven. He dropped his mantle. Elisha picked it up and went back to the Jordan River and smote the water and said, where is the God of Elijah? Because he had seen Elijah open up the Jordan River with that mantle. And sure enough, the waters divided and Elisha went through. My prayer, in the spirit of Jeremiah 12, 1 through 3, where is the God of Elisha? Who sent two she-bears out and tore 42 children to shreds. Who wanted to open their little flapper when they don't know a thing about life or a thing about anything. Rip them to shreds. Pull them like sheep for the slaughter. They put God in their mouth. They say the words we want to hear them say. But their heart, their reins, the reins of the controlling influences of their life are far from God. So, my point being that sometimes you look at someone, and Jeremiah did, and said, Lord, how are the wicked prospering and how are the, the treacherous happy? And then he corrects everything. And he says, Lord, you're the, you're the one. Lord, you're the one that planted them. You've given them root. 
Everything that's happening to them, you are sovereignly in charge of. But you know me, and you know how you've tried my heart. I get it. I get it. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Where does happiness come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. Do you know how young you can be when you can start jumping for joy? In your mother's womb. Because John the Baptist did. The Bible, the Holy Spirit wants to tell us why John jumped. It wasn't because she had anchovies on her pizza the night before. Elizabeth. John jumped because he was in the presence of his Savior. And he leaped for joy. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. May I share with you my favorite verse? It used to be Psalm 37.4. That's gone by the wayside. It's still a great verse. I don't mean the wayside in a bad way. I I shouldn't have said that. It's second. That's better. Romans 15.13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. All you have to do in that verse is one little thing. Believe. 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 Believe Psalm 63. Believe Psalm 144. Believe Jeremiah 12, 1 through 3. Believe. And the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace, and you'll abound in hope with the power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost bears the fruit of love, joy, peace. The Holy Ghost can do that. The Holy Ghost can lift you up. The Holy Ghost can change a man. Look at Peter from the day of the crucifixion, the night before the crucifixion, to the day of Pentecost. What a difference. The Lord can change your heart. He can give you a new heart. He could take King Saul, who was so timid, though he stood taller than anyone else in Israel, and give him a new heart so that he could be a great king. The Lord is able to do that for you. God is able to do that. Jesus Christ was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to Jesus Christ without measure. John 3.34 tells us. Jesus Christ was full of joy. Jesus Christ saw his eternal joy. Do you? You can have it. When was the last time you prayed for the Holy Spirit to give you joy? I love Romans 15.13. When I look at some of you and see your sadness and your hopelessness and your lack of peace inside... I know Romans 15, 13 is the answer for you because it was the answer for me. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope, abound in it through the power of the Holy Ghost. I don't, I can't give it to you. You know what? I can't give it to me. You can't give it to you and you can't give it to me. So we sit here helpless this morning. A congregation of saints. How can I be full of joy and peace and abound in hope? Believe the Bible. And do what it says in God the Holy Spirit by His power can fill you with those things. And they will flow out of you like a river of living water. Amen. That's right. People will think you're nuts. Amen. 
Because you're going to be happy. I'm not an entertainer. I'm an educator by God's word only. I have nothing to offer except God's word. And you have nothing to seek from me except God's word. I cannot help you outside of God's word. When Jesus said, out of a man's belly shall flow rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit in parentheses told us exactly what he was talking about. The Holy Spirit had not yet been given. But the Holy Spirit has been given, has been given for 2,000 years. And if you will get down on your knees, do you know what Jesus said? If ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give? The Holy Spirit to them that ask, can you believe? Now, Matthew, Matthew, you've got to read all the Gospels. Matthew doesn't say that. Luke 11.13 says that. You know, from that verse, you need to ask yourself, when was the last time I prayed for the Holy Spirit? That should settle it right there. Because the Holy Spirit can fill you with those things. You know how this, this same thought is worded in Psalm 46 and 4? Listen to these words. Some of you like Psalm 46. There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. There is a stream. There is a river which shall make glad the city of God. This is the Holy Spirit of God. It comes from God. Real happiness comes from the Lord. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. He's put my feet in a rock and He's put a new song in my mouth. Anybody who knew me as a teenager, what a, what a wreck of a life. Psalm 4, 7, Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 21 and verse 6, we're about to close before our break. Real happiness, brethren, is from the Lord. Do you seek it from Him? Do you seek it early? Do you meditate upon Him in the night watches? Do you, does your soul follow hard after him? Hard. 21.6 Thou hast made him, David speaking of himself, and the Lord Jesus Christ by way of prophecy. Thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. All it takes is a smile from the God of heaven for you to be happy and glad. Because when God smiles upon your soul, it is wonderful. Amen. You think you have found someone else in life that's a kindred spirit? Oh, you're kidding me! I'm sorry for all you married couples. Compared to the Lord is what I'm trying to say. There's no one that can compare to the Lord. When He smiles upon... You say, you know, married couples just get kind of dull after a while so that a smile, it still means quite a bit. But you know, you lose some of that excitement when you see another person smiling at you. But you know what? When God smiles on you, it is another thing. It is in another universe. Psalm 21.6, Thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. When you know that somebody likes you and shows you by their body language and their facial expressions and their eyes, and the Lord does that, exceeding glad. Where does it come from? I'm answering a question. Where does it come from? It comes from the Lord. Without the Lord, you can't have it. It's from God. He gives us the truth and answers to all of life and its perplexities. He loves us from the inside out. He's loved us in the past. He's going to love me in the future. He's promised to never leave me nor forsake me. He wraps his arms around me, and I never feel alone with the Lord. 
but I'm thankful when he sends my wife back after 11 days. It comes from Jehovah being your God. Look at Deuteronomy 33. Deuteronomy 33. Hold on for a couple more minutes. Deuteronomy 33. It comes from Jehovah being your God. Deuteronomy 33, verse 29. Listen to these words. Happy art thou, O Israel. Deuteronomy 33, 29. It's in the Old Testament. I still hear pages rustling. Happy art thou, O Israel. Who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord? The shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency? Exclamation point. And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. You're going to walk all over them. But happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help. The Lord is your shield. The Lord's your helper. The Lord is the sword of your excellency. This is where it comes from. Look at Psalm 64. Psalm 68, excuse me, Psalm 68. Where does real happiness come from? It comes from a man that walks with God. A man that knows God. God speaks to him. God smiles upon him. God hedges him about. God gives him the Holy Spirit in his heart so that he's full of joy, peace, and abounding hope. Psalm 68, verse 4. Psalm 68 and verse 4. Verse 3. Let's get verse 3. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God. Sing praises to His name. Extol Him that rideth upon the heavens by His name, Jah. And rejoice before Him. That is where it comes from. Real happiness comes from knowing this God. Talking to Him, praising Him, singing to Him. This is happiness. Don't let the world lie to you. Don't let the devil deceive you. Don't let your heart turn you astray. It's walking with this God. These are the great men of the earth. These are the great women of the earth. Nothing can move them. God is their helper. And that right early. This is it right here. And then God is able to send His Holy Spirit whereby Father and Son can abide with you forever. The Jehovah God dwells with me, dwells in me, dwells around me, talks to me. And you, if you believe and follow Him. Faith is the beginning. It's the foundation. To trust God and to trust everything in the Bible leads to real happiness. I was taught this book from my earliest days. I was taught to memorize it. I was taught to read it. I was taught its words. And I fell in love with the things of this world. And I never had the real happiness until I found the God of this Bible. And found the Bible of the God of heaven. And took my delight in it. Anything happens, there's an answer in the Bible. Anytime I'm lonely, pick up a psalm. Discouraged, pick up, pick up the psalms. Pick it up, the Bible. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Amen. And here they are. They feed your soul. Real happiness comes from God and His word. We'll have much more to say in a few minutes.